We're going through a series on Mark, and this is uh, the second uh, Sunday of it. So we're going through a section, and it's actually the same as what the workshop is going through, which is awesome. I love it whenever our kids and our parents get aligned in the faith. It's fantastic. Um, but before I dive into the word scripture, I want to tell you about my sister, my older sister, Rachel. Rachel is driven. Uh, Rachel is sensitive, like in a good way. <laughs> and Rachel loves animals. And when Rachel was leaving middle school and going to high school, she saved up babysitting money and bought a stinking horse. She didn't ask daddy for a pony, she went and got the pony herself. That's how she does it. And of course, dad was very supportive. We had some friends with lands nearby. We were gonna have lands soon. She worked so hard with this horse. She got it never was still a filly, I believe, which is a young mare. Yes? We got some horse people out there. And she broke it herself. She learned how to do this. She's a teenager with a horse that acts like a teenager too. So it was just great. It was it was super fun all the time. No. She loved that horse. She fed that horse. She would wake up 5 a.m., drive 30 minutes to the land the horse was on, deal with her, run around a little bit, come back to band practice and do the same thing after school. Right? And See, the thing is that eventually she had the horse on our land and we had a round pen, which is self-explanatory. That is a pen that is round. Um, and it's made for you staying in the middle and running the horse in circles. A little bit for exercise, but more so to train the horse to recognize your authority. And so then there would be certain little like, sounds she would make and movements and she had this horse whip and like, if I flip it this way, she's supposed to do this and she'd train this horse. But this horse kept on wanting to put these little boxes on Rachel's authority, figurative. So she'd be like, well, you're the person that feeds me. But not uh I exercising today. Because Harley, the horse, was also driven, but extremely lazy. She was driven to be lazy, you could say. And she was, oh, so conniving and manipulative. She'd do all kinds of things to poor Rachel. And she kept on trying to, like, kind of tell Rachel what she was. Like, no, you just feed me, that's it. Because I'll eat all the food. But I'm not going that round pen. And then once Rachel like yanked her into the round pen, she's like, okay, you can make me run around, but I'm gonna run around in really little circles and see if like you don't notice. Nah, -uh. big circles, Harley. Okay, like you keep on wanting to turn around, but I'm gonna turn around like real slow so that way I can take a break. No, Harley, nah, do that. And of course this dialogue is all happening non-verbally, I guess you could say. And Harley kept on trying to put these boxes around Rachel's authority, around who Rachel was to Harley. And Rachel kept on just breaking out of it. No, I mean, we're gonna train, no? And she would do this hours and hours and hours in that round pen. I see a lot of nods from people I've met worked with horses before. And the thing is, is that Harley would be exhausted by the end of it. And then Rachel would just, she'd be huffing and puffing and cursing and all kinds of stuff, and Harley would be huffing and puffing and sweating, and Rachel would just drop the whip and open her arms. Harley would come right to the center of the and just put her head right there. I don't know, isn't that not the sweetest thing you've ever heard? It could be in a Hallmark movie right there. <laughs> Rachel deserved inherently Harley's authority by virtue of her owning Harley, caring for Harley, I mean, she, she deserved it. Um, one night, Harley 
kicked a barbed wire fence and tore up just major muscles and ligaments. And Rachel didn't sleep for two days, just caring for the stinking horse. She deserved that authority. And then, very subtle difference, she earned it. She proved she deserved it. She proved that she could maintain that. And she won Harley's authority. And Jesus is trying to do the same thing. What happens in the first, the second half of Mark 1 and the first part of Mark 2 is that the Pharisees and the people keep on putting boxes on who Jesus is. So the first thing that Jesus does is he walks out to the synagogue and he's teaching. And Mark doesn't even tell us what he's teaching about. It's like, he was teaching and it was sick. And we're like, Mark, tell us more. And he's like, no, I've got more important stuff to do. Not really. But that's how I read it. And so then the people say, wow, this new teaching and with authority. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, the normal teachers, they would quote and use references and substantiate their claims based on other rabbis and Pharisees and scribes. And Jesus didn't do none of that. He would just say it how it was. He'd tell you how to run your life and then expect you to do that. And people would be like, oh my, we're not used to this. I don't know what to think about this. That's how they all sounded like that. And in the middle of this, as they're being impressed by his claims, this man in the corner of the synagogue stands up and he has a demon in him and he says, I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God, the Son of God. What you gonna do? Are you here to punish me? Are you here to damn us all? What are you doing here? And Jesus just says, hey, that's enough, sit down. And the demon convulses the man and comes out of him. And everyone again is like, whoa. He even has authority over demons. And that's even further shocking because guess what? Exorcisms happened back then all the time. But the process was very different from what we just talked about. Like someone would have a demon and someone else would come up and usher in the authority of another being like God and they would say God's name and try to get the demon's name and stuff like that. They would use incantations and weird movements and stuff like that. It's the exorcist movie we're used to hearing about, right? But Jesus would have made a very boring exorcist movie because he didn't appeal to no authority. He just went up and was like, hey, stop that. That's enough. Get out of here. And then he was gone. So then they're like, okay, he's a teacher. He has some authority over the spiritual realm. Okay, that's his box, okay? It's Jesus the teacher and the spirit guy. But then here's the thing is that right before what we're reading today, he comes home to Capernaum, to Peter's house. Peter was married, lucky guy. And he has, of course, a mother-in-law. She's very sick. She's extremely sick. She's dying. She's, if you will, stage five. And Jesus goes into the room, holds her hand, and lifts her out of bed. And the fever left her. And then Mark adds, and she began to serve them. And he adds that, not because Mark is like putting this expectation on women serving men or something like that, but to prove she's not stage five, she's not stage four, she's not stage one, she's stage gone. It's gone. So Jesus, they, these boxes keep on putting on him, and he just kicks them off. And it's, it's 
it's, it's his strategy. He, he wants the people to know who he is. He wants the people to know that he deserves authority. We'll talk more about those boxes later, because we all put boxes on Jesus, I think. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. But here's the thing. Our text is so exciting because it's whenever Jesus... Everyone else has been saying up to this point, oh, he has authority. That man is a good teacher. I like him. They, they, they say these things, but Jesus is going to talk about his own authority in his own special way. Let's dive in. We're in Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together. So there was no more room in the house, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. It's not their house. It's probably Peter's house. <laughs> Could you imagine if someone like, all of a sudden you just saw this pickaxe coming through the ceiling, like, hey, Jesus! And, oh man, crazy. Like, just super bizarre. The audacity of these four friends is insane. And they could not get in here because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So right now, this has just been sweet and, and good so far, but now we're going to talk about authority. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. No, 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 he can't talk like that. Um, he's, in fact, blaspheming. Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who's this poser? Immediately, Jesus, first of all, this is one hint at his divinity, at him being God. He can see into their hearts perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why are you questioning these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk? It's a fair question, and they don't give an answer, which is perfectly fine, because I can't see that someone's sins are forgiven. I can see if someone's walking. So it's a very loaded question. And not to mention the audacity of Jesus saying, son, your sins are forgiven to someone he'd never met. That'd be like me going out to Tom and being like, on Jan's sweet behalf, Tom, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Jan would be probably like, thank you. <laughs> Tom would be like, whoa, what authority do you have? You're not, this is a two-person marriage here. This is not your realm. Or if I were to say someone that I didn't know at all, Hey, stranger, your sins are forgiven. But, like, we don't have a category for that. That's kind of actually arrogant. And the scribes know this, and they say, what? But Jesus has a different agenda. But that you may know that the Son of Man, talking about Himself, has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and for the first time in your life, go home. And he rose and he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so they were all amazed and glorified God. 
saying, you never saw anything like this. Then after that, Jesus continues on his merry way. So here's the thing. Jesus deserves our authority. He deserves it because, hey, he's got the authority. But look at what he does with it. First of all, this man expects his legs to be healed. Instead, Jesus wipes his spiritual slate clean. How much more do we receive from God than what we understand? I might be going to God like, oh, Lord Jesus, I ain't too much guacamole. Please help me out here, man. And then he's like, Josh, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That is not what I came for, but that's fine. How often does Jesus do that to us? We don't even know. How often is he giving you amazing things that while you're maybe complaining about one relationship in your life, you have 12 over here that are incredible. While you're complaining about a leaky pipe, you have a roof over your head that's sustainable. While you're saying how, why this is so hot, I hope we have a good season this year. You live in the Vale Valley. How much has God given you that you haven't even asked for? He deserves our authority. Later on, oh, at this point, Jesus, he, man, he's getting riled up. And he starts in, antagonizing the people who put boxes on his authority. At one time, he's walking through this field, and it's on the Sabbath, it's on Saturday, and you're not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath. So he and his disciples are like picking heads of grain and snacking on them, like sunflower seeds. You know, we love them, that's right. Um, and the Pharisees say, uh, you can't do that, that's harvesting. And he says, yeah, but you see, the Sabbath was made for man. We weren't made for the Sabbath, meaning the rules are for us, for our well-being. And then, that, that's fine, that's good. That's a good place to stop the argument. But Jesus continues, he says, and by the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. This is my day. You think it's God's day? You're right. It's my day. And Mark doesn't even have a response. They, they don't even say anything as far as we know. And then later on, a lot of the other religious leaders come up because Jesus and his disciples aren't fasting. And they're like, why don't you fast? You should fast. Everyone fasts. John's disciples fast. You don't fast. And Jesus could have said something like, oh, this is the time that you can fast, and this is the time that you can't fast, and your hearts are hard, and it's okay if you don't fast, it's fine, but fasting is very good. He could have gone into this doctoral talk, but instead he says something hugely and widely arrogant to bust off this box. He says, how can they fast when the bridegroom is here? Now, for those of you who don't know, much of the Old Testament uses a very, very specific metaphor for God and his relationship to you, his people. Of a bride and a bridegroom. I will have a bride soon, and I will be a bridegroom. This stunna is my fiance. And it God uses that intimate relationship and the joy of keeping it confined to the wedding day to express his love for you. He's not some mean God who wants to set these rules on your life so that will kill your fun. And he also won't stop at just healing your wounds. He wants to forgive your sins. He deserves your authority. 
He's the best husband, brother, father you could ever have. But to the Pharisees, he just made a claim that he was God. Read the Gospel of Mark sometime and just imagine, look at it through these new lenses of how he likes to poke and break up these boxes, and you'll see Jesus acts with authority. He talks at first like he runs the place, and then he runs the place. But here's the thing, he doesn't just, he doesn't just deserve our authority, he's earned it. Just like Rachel was perfectly deserving of her horse's authority. She loved that horse, cared for that horse. That horse was safe with her. It wasn't by the barbed wire fence, but it was safe with her. She also earned it. Jesus has earned your authority too on the cross. In other parts of the Bible, Paul uses that marriage image to say, okay, if God has used this image of a bride and a bridegroom for the church and God, husbands, you're the groom. Love your wives like Jesus loved you. Jesus was nailed on a cross and slowly suffocated for three hours on our behalf. And we didn't even ask him to. Jesus has earned your Sometimes we can be a lot like that stinking horse, Harley. We can put these boxes on his authority. We can do the same things the Pharisees did. We can say, and even if we say he's our authority, he's our God, we can act like, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher. Meaning, I go to Jesus for my moral backup, but that's about it. I don't need the spiritual backup. Guys, He's earned your authority. He's kicked open that box. Maybe we just go to Jesus as our guru, Buddha, spiritual guy. Like Jesus is one of many sources of life that we go to. It's not into that either. Maybe we just ask for, ask for Jesus' presence in our lives when we just need it. I mean, this is the trap I fall into. I have no problem admitting my need. Most of the time. Some of the time. Yeah. I've, but this is the trap I fall into to where I just see Jesus as this guy who fixes things in my life. And maybe you do too. But here's the thing, is that Jesus wants to teach me. Jesus wants to heal me. Jesus wants to forgive me. Jesus, Jesus' priority is that I follow him as my authority. And that's his priority for you too. So here's the thing is that Jesus' authority from you is deserved. He made you. He formed you in his mother's womb. He loves you. You are beautiful to him. He deserves your authority inherently. But here's the thing. Remember, he's earned it too. 
on the cross, dying for your sins. See, because the thing is, is that the forgiveness of that paralytic, it wasn't free. It cost Jesus everything. He forgives you. He loves you. He cherishes you. He heals you. He gives us non-anesthetic spinal surgeries for you. He gives us talented doctors and beautiful children for you. He gives us, hopefully, a beautiful December 27th wedding day for you, right? He gives you all these good things. He gave that paralytic man the ability to walk. But guess what? It's not the point. The point is, is he's forgiven you, and he is worthy and deserving of your authority. He deserves to be followed. So here's the thing is that we don't do this perfectly. Guess what? Jesus will forgive you and love you again and again and again. But if you want to see faith and miracles and healings, physical and non-physical in your life, you want to see your life radically transformed by the love of Jesus. Realize that his authority is total and complete and totally and completely love.